Hey, Marcus. Yo. You like movies? Yes, I do. Well, that's pretty good, because if you didn't, then that would probably be the end of our show. Or yeah. maybe or maybe it would just create like a new season. Sure. Like when we first started the podcast, people were like, is this podcast going to be about Scott learning to love documentaries? Yeah, Which right. in short, sort of. Which is pretty funny because as friend of the show, Carlo pointed out when we when talking about one of the topics of today's episodes, he was like, dude, did you just send me a link to a collection of short documentaries, two genres you don't care for? And I was like, look, I like what I like and I believe people can change. There's there's two types of people, Marcus. There's yeah. people that look at Nas's work and try to find contradictions in what he says in one record and what he says in other records. And then there's people that look at Nas's music and see someone who is forever changing and growing and changing his mind about things. Yeah. So which yeah. one do you want to be? Mm, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, it's very important for people to know that I change and I grow. And I'm trying to learn and that, you know, and that that's who I am. So even back when I said I didn't like documentaries, there was an asterisk to that, mm -hmm. that I find people often the form of documentary is makes storytelling easy because you have this cool story and then you can bypass the important things that make a film good editing performance, music, cinematography. So if you forego things just for a cool, interesting idea, I'm not that interested in it. Yeah. Which is not to say that I dislike documentaries. It's that I find documentaries to be the most challenging and something that I have a pretty big blind spot for, except for documentaries about jazz music. Understandable. But yeah, this is Zebras in America movie podcast, a podcast about movies, episode 156. Uh, what's going on with you, buddy? Chilling. I'm um, <clears throat> chilling. I'm actually revisiting movies now. I've been in TV land for quite some time between, you know, Painting with John, WandaVision, <clears throat> reruns of Tacoma FD, which I forgot how funny that show is. Um, I've been watching movies sparsely. And then I've been discovering, I've, I've been having some cool first-time watches. Uh, all of them, were, uh, not all of them, most of them we're going to be talking about on this ep this ep episode. But uh, yeah, other than that, trying to find a job, trying to stack up uh, reviews, posts, and comparisons for uh, Pinland Empire because I'm not going to broadcast exactly why. Those that know, know, but in a few months I might be a little, it's not going to be as easy to like update my website, so I'm trying to stack up some ugh, content and I'm not supposed to use that word when talking about artsy stuff but yeah so that's pretty much it man just chilling snowing uh I have a big window in my living room so it kind of looks nice yeah it's uh, snowing yeah. it's snowing here in Baltimore as well and uh I'm looking at the I'm looking at the snow and thanking my lucky stars that it's warm in my room like there's that song by uh, Block Party. It's so cold in this house. <laughs> but not today. Not today. Yeah. It is. It is warm in this house. I don't and think. Block, I don't hmm? think Block Party. I thought they could have been bigger. I don't know what happened. I thought they were gonna be bigger. Yeah, there were. I don't know. Just some things. But that's man. You're taking me back. That's that like. That soon as I got out of college. Genre. It just that, that, but just that era, that Interpol, early, early TV on the radio, block party, when Fader was the shit, like, all this stuff was happening. It's like the mid, the early slash mid-2000s, where it was just like an interesting, fun time for, for music. Oh, yeah. In Especially, most genres. Well, I, that genres. genre of indie rock stuff, like, I don't know exactly what to call it but it was a very interesting couple of years fun fact um 
Dev Hines, probably mm-hmm. best known as Blood Orange, started out his career, their career, as the lead singer of a block party knockoff band called Test Icicles. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I bet you didn't know that. I definitely didn't. I'm not. I'm actually not really like on 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 him too much. So I don't. I don't really know his history. Their he, history. I'm not. I don't know if that, that's considered a group or just him. I don't know. Uh, after Test Icicles, they released uh, an album as Lightspeed Champion, Champion, which was like that sort of bright eyes uh, production sound. Mm-hmm. That's really good. So I I do like a lot of the music, but that's that. Yeah, man. Uh but I'm I'm going on so many tangents. But yeah, it um you just said that you've been watching Painting with John, which is like sort of a 30-year-later sequel to Fishing with John. Sure. And it's funny because we were talking to another John who's on HBO, John Wilson, about Fishing with John a month or so ago, and then out of nowhere, Painting with John on HBO shows up on HBO and HBO Max. Definitely out of nowhere. I had no idea. Yeah, Carlo texts us like, hey, you going to watch this? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I am. I definitely didn't know about this. Uh, it's like Saskia and I watch that show and we cry. It's so powerful. Yeah. I don't know. How would you explain that show? Uh, <clears throat> so I'll just say it's kind of how I explained it to, to my wife because she's actually been watching along with me. So it's just this. It's it's kind of about it's John Lurie who is is a total Renaissance man, who is kind of as he paints, he also just kind of talks about his life, life in general, uh, philosophy, thoughts, views, religion, jokes, funny stuff, everything. And then there's also this kind of like it, it, it's in his house. Well, one of his houses, it's in his property. But then there's also this kind of like side story with like the two women who work in his in, who work in his home, the relationship that they have. You know, it's kind of just like a loose documentary. And for those who don't, you know, because John Lurie, he's one of those unique guys. If I could ever have a career, it I kind of want to be him, where it's just like he's done some big shit in multiple throughout like forty plus years in different avenues in different arenas but he's still kind of like relatively like under the radar but at the same time like this is a guy who's been in it's forget just jim jarmish he's a guy who's been in movies uh by martin scorsese he scored like major motion pictures like get shorty he used to be the the music director for the conan o'brien show like he's done all these things he was in a group with you know basquiat all, all he's steve buscemi's best friend like there's so many things but he's still not as known um, and and you know. uh, a friend of Basquiat will be talked about later in this episode. Yes, another another bandmate of of, of Basquiat. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Good point. Good point. Good point. Yeah. So yeah, for for those who've been living under a rock of zebras, Jean Lurie is definitely one of our patron saints because he, you know, through the lounge lizard, lounge lizards, through some very specific acting roles obviously down by law he was just part of the pulse of the of the 80s 90s zeitgeist of of different types of independent art and then he had very debilitating Lyme disease and a very disturbing article in the New Yorker about it which has the veracity of which has been questioned by a lot of people, but if you want your day ruined, read it. He he disappears into mild obscurity, because it's not completely true, starts doing these right. paintings that are just really awesome. And then he makes this one painting that accidentally becomes a gigantic meme in Russia called Bear Surprise, which yeah. is... Just like a bear saying surprise. It's hilarious. 
And then as he's trying to figure out how to film this new way of painting, he sends a demo to someone and they're like, oh, actually, we're going to turn this into a show. Right. And then it becomes a show. And uh, should I read a... Should I read a fan mail before we go into the some of the subjects of today's episode? Yes, please. Um, this is from Brandon Boozer. Oh, all right. Topic, future director episodes. Hey, guys. Hope all is well. Just wanted to reach out to say that your Todd Ains deep dive was excellent, and I'm looking forward to more episodes in the same vein in the future. I recently discovered the films of Adam Egoyan, and couldn't help but suggest this guy for a possible future deep dive episode. While he has films of varying esteem, there are a handful of that are just incredibly crafted. The Sweet Hereafter in particular, a film that is a puzzling meditation on lost truth and the passage of time. Would love to hear your thoughts on this filmmaker if you're at all interested or familiar. Regardless, looking forward to the next one. Thanks, Brandon Boozer. Well, thanks, right. Brandon. Thanks for the email and... Uh, do you what? Do you like uh, Adam McGoyan? Uh Some I got to put an emphasis on some. He's uh, if you want to. I mean, if you want to go to Pinland Empire and use that search tool, I've, I've written about him a couple of times. But he's one of those filmmakers, uh, Canadian filmmaker, who uh, he's got like these like famous, popular indie art house movies like The Sweet Hereafter. But then it's also like a movie like Chloe, and it's like, wait, you did that also? He, like his whole career is like, oh, he did that, but wait, he did that? It, it's very. Um, I think it would be interesting. It, it I mean, it, it, it spans many decades. He has a lot of movies, but uh, it, it, it would have to be a two-parter just because of the how many movies he has. But uh, it would be interesting. I will say for the time being, if you haven't, Scott, and anyone who's listening who hasn't, check out his movie Calendar. That's that's by far my favorite Adam McGoyne movie. It, I think it's like it's just so ahead of its time. I think, and 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 I try not to throw terms like that around, but I think that that it, it's such an excellent movie. Well, and Sweet Sweet is... Hereafter is great. I think it's funny because it's Sweet Hereafter. There was like a whole American Dad episode that was a spoof on uh, the Sweet Hereafter, which is very random, but it, it's a very good. Uh, it's a very good. Uh, episode starring a young Sarah Polly and Ian Holm and folks like that but I'm sorry what, what, what were you going to say? What I'm going to say is I'm going to turn this back on you Brandon because you have a film podcast called Losing Track so let's see what you guys have to say Sure, good point That's all I had to say and um, our, our loose schedule of of movie of director retrospectives that we're doing, I believe the next one we're going to do is Ernest Dickerson. So yeah, that's going to be fun. You know, because that's yeah, and I have some cool anecdotes and ideas for that. So then, like last week, two weeks ago, you sent me a link to some to a movie called uh, Doc's Kingdom, directed by Robert Kramer from the mm -hmm. late 80s. Mm -hmm. And you're like, you got to check this out. It's got vibes from The Intruder. It's got vibes from the last thing he ever wanted. It's got mm -hmm. a whole lot of stuff. Why don't you check it out? And I'm like, cool. I'm down. I'll, but then why don't you check out these shorts by Vittorio De Seta and we'll, we'll do an episode about it. So... Doc's, Doc, Doc's Kingdom by Robert Kramer um, that you recommended to me. Yes. Do, do you want to do you want to give a little intro to what it's about and some a little flavor? Sure. So Doc's Kingdom. Uh, it's about two guys, but I, I guess there's uh, it's about a young guy whose mother has recently passed away. He doesn't know his father, uh, and he sets off to find his father. Um, but it's not just about this Jimmy character. It's also about Doc, who is also his father, and how Doc has kind of set up this life over in Africa. He's, uh, he's in a doctor. Lisbon. In Lisbon. Sorry, in Lisbon. Damn, yeah, sorry. In Lisbon, he has a... Um, Which is in Portugal in, in, yeah. in, in Europe. Yeah. He has a, um, a medical clinic. He has his whole new life. And then midway into the movie, you have Jimmy coming to find him. 
and both Jimmy and Doc kind of meet, and then stuff happens. So it's kind of a you know finding you know your long lost father movie and trying to resolve or not resolve. Um, it's kind of it, in parts it's fever dreamish, in other parts it's 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 like a noir, in other parts it's a drama, and then there's like a pinch of science fiction um, in it as well, and yeah. Yeah, it's got that sort of like. 80s film verite uh, magical realism vibe to it that I yeah. that I do like yeah. and and who plays Jimmy Vincent Gallo who we taught who we alluded to earlier who yeah. you know film director actor uh, provocateur musician original edge lord uh, Sure, uh, sure. Super, not original, but but an OG edge lord, and was was uh, a breaker called Prince Vince on yeah. Computer Rock. Was it Computer yeah. Rock? Graffiti, Graffiti Rock. Graffiti Rock. Graffiti Rock. Yeah. Which I recommend you look looking for with Debbie Mazar and a bunch of other people. Yeah. He's like he's one of those people who you you can like say hey, Vincent Gallo. Is a is a troubling character has done some things that bother me, uh, and also is a genuine artist who's got cred in the game. Was in a band with Basquiat. Is yeah. in Downtown Eighty One. Has been showing up for years, and made a movie called The Brown Bunny, which you and me are the only people that like. And seems like uh, it. Film film critic. TV critic and all-around nice dude, Matt Zoller Seitz gave you a Brown Bunny poster. Thank you. You did, yeah. That was very awesome. So yeah, Vincent Gallo plays Jimmy, who's just like trying to get to Europe, not dissimilar to Trouble Every Day, to get to Europe to find answers. Just the answers are different. And yeah. like Trouble Every Day, there's this, there is like this idea of an unspoken disease um, and you don't see everything, and there's a lot of interior shots and small shots and confusing shots. And I did. It, it is like a genre of film of like just like sad white people. Sure. Uh, yeah. But also, like, if if you were to say, like, what do you think an independent American film of the '80s looks like? And someone showed you this, you'd be like, yeah, okay. Yep. But, like, I never saw this movie before, but I understood it. Like, it made me revisit some of the, the work of Spalding Gray or on... Um, yeah, can you movies. explain? Can, can, can you go into that? Because I'm curious. I just thought they kind of looked alike, the main characters. Or do oh, you want me to oh, explain, oh. like, Spalding Gray? Like, just when I think of, like, 80s art... Mm-hmm. I just sort of think Spalding Gray. That's just something that is like part of like the hur the heuristics for me. Sure, sure. I also um, love his kind of like elusive, kind of like long lasting but just sparse connection to film. Because like actor Spalding Gray. is not yeah Spalding Gray. Because actor is not his first accolade. However, no, he's you know, a mono monologue writer and actor. Yeah. <clears throat> Right. But then at the same time, it's like to appear in, you know, David Byrne's True Stories, uh, Jonathan Demme's in Cambodia, How High, uh, Steven Soderbergh, Spalding Gray, uh, Gray's Anatomy, Jesus, Gray's Anatomy. Like he's in. I mean, that's he's like Grey's important Anatomy stuff is, here and there. Gray's Anatomy know? is his thing, though. Yeah. So, well, same, same with Swimming to Cambodia. I'm yeah. just saying it's directed by these like prestige filmmakers. Um, that, that It's part of their filmography now, you know, just as much. Um, yeah, he's a, he's an interesting guy. Who, yeah, Rest who, in peace. Who who I who disappeared and was was found and he's no yeah, longer alive. Yeah, it's very sad. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't know what to say. I don't, uh, I don't know. Did, rest in peace. Uh, that's all. No, I did say rest in peace. Didn't Steven Soderbergh do Grey's Anatomy or did something? That's what I, I said. That's what I said. Soderbergh's Grey's Anatomy. Jonathan Demme did uh, Swimming in Cambodia. Oh, I didn't hear that part. My bad. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. We are we are recording remotely. True. Um, there's it's also interesting. Like... I, I, real quick, too. And I, I, you know, I don't want to jump ahead 
I'll explain later, but like Vincent Gallo and his whole presence and upbringing kind of relates to the other films we're going to get into later, just in terms of the whole Italian, Italian American, Catholicism, et cetera, et cetera. So that's and also there, a little. There's also like, there's this world of like 80s artistic cinema. And I say artistic in like in a nice way as like a cultural shorthand mm -hmm. that that I'm like, that there are movies where I'm like, does this exist in the same world of life lessons? Right. Um, the, the, the Scorsese part of New York stories. Yeah. And this one does. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It totally does. So like, and I just do like I do like films that are marginally genre films like this or blindness or trouble every day or hard to be a god, um, mm. and it's hard to find Robert Kramer's movies though because like yeah he's like an American person who made a lot of French movies, which reminds me of like Diving Bell and the Butterfly, which is an American person making a French movie and you know a French movie I like I don't remember how you feel about the diving bell and the butterfly it was you know it's a damn it's interesting you say this because I was going to make a point and this only furthers my point uh I I don't really have an opinion on the diving bell and the butterfly but it's director uh Julian Schnabel came from the same scene as Vincent Gallo, as Basquiat. Exactly. As a matter of fact, Vincent Gallo has a quick cameo. He doesn't have any lines, but he's actually in a scene in Basquiat. And that was just kind of, so far, like a lot of shit that we've been talking about, when it comes to that 80s independent art-slash-film scene, there's there's usually like one degree of se uh, of separation, but it, it, it involves folks, a lot of people we've said already, John Larry, Jim Jarmusch, Vincent Gallo, um, folks like that, uh, Julian Schnabel, like they're they're all Basquiat. They're all kind of the web or, or or the tree or tree branches rather to a lot of the, you know to that film scene, and then they branch off internationally because a lot of the names that I just mentioned have connections to Vim Vendors, Claire Denis, Robbie Mueller, uh, and 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 folks like that. So th there's there's a lot of strong connections in d during that era of of film and art and everything. And I, I always thought that was really cool. Exactly. And in a cursory search of Robert Kramer, I found this nice quote because a lot of his films are very loose. I was able to find a film called Point of Departure on YouTube and Doc's Kingdom is also on YouTube and you don't have to feel bad watching them there. They're, you cannot find them anywhere else. So, right. uh, Although I, I, have to, I have to make a quick little point. I bought... I actually own uh, a crappy multi-region copy of Doc's Kingdom that I paid a lot of money for, and I never opened it, never watched it, and then years went by, I forgot about it, and then I was like, I just stumbled across, exactly, I, I stumbled across on YouTube, I was like, oh, I always wanted to watch that, and then midway in, I started thinking about New York City and what I missed, and I remember thinking about Kim's video, and then I was like, oh, wait, I bought this movie from Kim's, I own this movie, and then, yeah, so that's another little random yeah. stream of consciousness connection there. right the only movie of his that you can like purchase and is which is also a little expensive is is milestones mm. which is what which is like four hours almost i think so three hours i don't know yeah. and i i'm told it's great but i don't have it so i haven't seen it but i was able to find you know what I was just saying, point of departure, where he revisits Vietnam and it's just really good. Yeah. And what he, uh, a nice quote I found of his was, one day, one day or other, all these films that I'm making will make up a single long film, a story that is always developing. And it made me realize that what I liked about his movies is that it actually, to me, had a very sort of like William Friedkin vibe, but with narrative storytelling. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't... wow. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah, when I huh. say something like that, how does it make you feel? 
That's why, no, I mean, you can't see me. I'm, like, looking up and, and, and trying to think. Say that one more time, because I'm, I'm... Say so that like, one more time. So, like, his use of... Like, so, even though his films are narrative, but... Well, some of them. Some of them are narrative, yeah. some of them are not. Some of them are mixed. Right. But his camera style, the way he's shooting, his angles, his pacing has a William Friedkin vibe to it for me. I guess some movies. Uh, I feel like, so immediately what comes to mind is something like Cruising, where it was like, it's a fiction film, but it's all, well, but it's based kind of based on a true story and set in kind of a real scene in New York City. So while it is a movie, it's also kind of like archival in a sense, although... I don't want to offend anyone, and I get it, because there's some people who think that that movie's bullshit and kind of hyper-romanticizes that scene, but whatever, we're not going to get into that. But um, I guess when it comes to certain movies, it, it's weird, because William Friedkin's a difficult guy to pin down. I, I don't think of one style when I think of him, so that's why I was like kind of pausing and, you know. But I I'm guess when it comes to like, certain movies, I, I, I could see that, I guess. I'm thinking of, like, the Titty Cut Follies era. William Friedkin? You mean William Klein? What? William Friedkin is the exorcist. Conversation. Holy shit, I'm my bad. Yeah, oh, Cl oh, the Canadian filmmaker. Oh, yeah, of course. Oh, not Titty. Oh, William. Oh, oh. Jesus, I'm sorry. Um, you're, you're thinking of um, Frederick Wiseman. Fuck, yeah. You're thinking Frederick of Frederick Wiseman. Wiseman. Wow, we just got three names. I'm sorry, I'm thinking of... Yeah, sorry. When you said uh, Titty Cut Follies, I was thinking of Alan King and the, whatever. Oh, uh, Frederick Wiseman. Yeah, ab absolutely. Why oh, did I say? No, I why it. did I say William Friedkin? Maybe they're similarish. There's F's and stuff in their name. I, I don't know. Well, here's the thing. William Friedkin, it... Frederick Wiseman. It's like a flip on F W. I, I don't know. Oh yeah, because I was like cruising, but I was like, all right, so yeah, <laughs> and like. Killer Joe, which is a very strange movie. So this is what I'm going to do, guys. I'm not going to edit this out because I just want to show that I'm human and I make mistakes. And sometimes I don't have, like, sometimes we work without Wikipedia in front of us. And I'm not editing it out. So okay, I make mistakes. Fine. I made a mistake shortly after, too. I confused two other filmmakers before realizing... I'm glad you said Titty Cut Follies, but because that's that's why I meant because I was like, why are you having such trouble? Yeah, I was I, trying to pin on what, what you meant. Like blue chips? I don't know. I'm not. I don't really think of Shaquille O'Neal and Nick Nolte. Uh, no, but but speaking of '90s, you also had me watch a documentary about Yokozuna, which had me crying. Yeah, you know, uh, shout out to that documentary because at the end of the day, it's like. When you think of it's always pro wrestlers. It's either suicide, murder, early death, or just like drug abuse. But it's like, hey man, food addiction, because that's the core of what that movie is. It's all about food addiction. And a lot of people, in retrospect, too, just like when they're around someone, oh, he eats so much food. This is crazy. And then in retrospect, it's like, ah, oh, I shouldn't have encouraged that. I shouldn't have, you know. And also, it's one of those things when like part of your whole persona is being a large person. Yeah. It does have to stop at a certain point because that's what, you know, in the up to the mid 90s, Yokozuna was a, a physical specimen, just a, a freak because it's like he was overweight, but he was very athletic. Not not even for his size. He was just very athletic. And then yeah. the more he got bigger, he could barely get up. He could barely do move, like, you know, so that's that kind of weird balance there. Exactly. And and he was really good at balancing and selling moves and not hurting yeah. people yeah. at being so large. And so I definitely check recommend on the WWE channel the Yokozuna story. It's really good. It doesn't pull punches. But I do want to get back to what we're saying, but I also yeah, want to course. say as 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 two people who have been formerly very large, I know that people we love can be very confused about it because food is food is something that we have such strange relationships with absolutely so, so like people don't know what to do and when you're that's that's fair when you're like when you're destroying yourself with other substances it's like a little more obvious 
you know. You know, a lot of t- so recently, and, and I, I, I've been sharing some of these pictures with you, Scott. My my two college friends have been digging up old college pictures, and jokingly, I'm not serious. I don't blame nobody for nothing, but it's kind of like, damn, why don't you guys tell me I was this big, like as a joke? And then immediately they kind of freeze up and they're like, I don't know. And it's like, and I, I'm kidding. It's not your responsibility. I, I get it, but it is like, wow, like looking at these pictures, it's like holy shit. So but, yeah. yeah. And and so like yeah, and that wasn't someone, even my biggest. Which is I was, scary. you know, th- full disclosure. Three years ago, I was three hundred and ten pounds, oh. and that, you know, I'm not saying that people that are large are not beautiful and oh, yeah, anything yeah. like that. I'm saying that I was unhealthy, and by by changing my eating and exercise habits. And losing over 120 pounds, I feel better. And the doctors can prove that I do as well. And when I've spoken to a couple of friends being like, yo, what the fuck? Like, how are you like letting me just like eat 30 buffalo wings in front of you? Blah, blah, blah. They were like, they were like, one, we did try. And two... You got upset, and three like people got to want to change on their own. Yeah. So, yep. This is all to say that it's that with a lot of things. So with like wrestling, most people that die, that die too young, it's all it's it's all it's almost all from self harm in some way. Yeah. But it's usually drugs and alcohol and dangerous behavior. But with Yokozuna and to a certain extent Andre the Giant, but more complicated, yeah, it yeah, was yeah. it was food, and it's yeah. really excellent. But yeah, so what I meant to say was Frederick Weissman, which I'm sure it makes a lot more sense now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the films of Frederick Weissman are mostly documentary, and but ha- and. I definitely felt like if Frederick Weissman was making narrative pictures, they might not look that different from from the movies we're talking about. Sure. Robert Kramer, excuse me. Yeah, I agree. And that's that. That's pretty much what I have to say about Doc's Kingdom and Robert Kramer. The films are on YouTube. I recommend you watch them. Do you have anything to say about them? No, just, uh, yeah, I recommend you watch it. it. It's really good, and, and what Scott was alluding to earlier, it, it's very much in line with uh, Claire Denise, The Intruder, which, another interesting connection. Vincent Gallo was a regular of hers. And also, the last thing he wanted, which is a movie now that kind of like, oh, maybe I should rewatch this. It's like, I don't think it's great, but it's worthy of more than what I gave it, or what I didn't give it, rather, which was like I'm, enough of my I'm time. I'm telling so you. I'll, 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 I, I'll, I'll say that. I'm telling you, I am... I am ahead of my time in saying that that movie was good. I look forward to be proven to be proven right. I really like that movie. It's a meditative lyrical exercise and all of you are welcome when y'all realize that. Yeah. <laughs> um not not to gloat or anything. Hey, I get it. Uh, and I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I've been really enjoying um, bes- you know, besides the things that we've been talking about um, before going into this last part well I got I mean like I said I, I, I do have a cool transition though so let me know because between Doc's one of the you know Doc's Kingdom into these uh, documentary films that you had me watch which I loved Okay, go for it. Oh, uh, well, we've spoken about Vincent Gallo, and it's sometimes hard to tell when he's being genuine or not. But one thing that is factually true is, like, his upbringing, you know, it was tough, it was weird, it was complicated, you know, all these things. He, he was abused physically and psychologically, <clears throat> and he does attribute a lot of that to both parents, mainly his dad, and he says a lot of it has to do with the Italian culture. Like, his um, mm. his father was, you know off the boat, you know, Italian. And it's one of those things where 
I've always been. Fa- I mean, I'm fascinated by all religions, but what we're about to go into with uh, Vittorio De Seta is um, mainly in terms of religion. It's Catholicism. And me, I was raised Christian. I went to church most Sundays. My my parents were Christian, especially my mom. She's from the south, and I always remembered like I just grouped all religions in to one thing. Just ah, they're slightly different. And with Christianity, there's so many uh, just hypocritical things. You could just be this terrible person, but it's like ah, I went to church on Sunday, so I'm absolved. Like like it's okay. I remember in church, in the Christian church, people whispering, making fun of others cursing, saying homophobic things, just all kinds of messed up stuff in church. And I just remember being so confused when, like, my Catholic friends, or in movies, like, specifically the films of, like, Abel Ferrara, Martin Scorsese, it's like, why are they so, like, guilty? Like, why, like, they take their religion so seriously. It's like, when you're a Christian, you don't have to take it seriously. Like, that's how, like, that's how I was brought up. Like, that's how it felt around me. But when I watch these documentary films from Vittorio De Seta, I understand how specifically... Not like Irish Catholic, not but like how Italian Catholics, at least three generations, take their religion so seriously, and how mm-hmm. fear is instilled in them, and how it is supposed to be t- taken serious, and compared to something like Christ- in C- Christianity. Um, and I got a lot of that, you know, from these movies. That's not all I got. I think a lot of this. I hate to sound so corny, but these documentary films that I watched, all of them to some degree, it's just pure cinema. I know that sounds right. very pretentious, and bre- no, but it's just but like some of them. That's what it is. Yeah. What's being said, there's not a lot of direct dialogue. It's important. What anyone says in the background of these movies, it's important, but it's more just like the just the, the overall visual, the auditory, just these men on these fishing boats. And I was immediately reminded of the 2012 film Leviathan, uh, which actually clearly was an uncredited consultant on I still in, in need to watch this. I oh, immediately need to watch it. Two, 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 two <clears throat> films specifically. Hold up, I gotta pull. Uh, I gotta pull up my um, my notes. Yeah. So if we're talking, you know, Sea Countrymen, no, The Age of Swordfish, and Fishing Boats. Right. Those two movies. Leviathan is just like a ninety-minute version of those movies. Like, not much is said. Well, not much is said directly to or at the camera. Like, there's people talking in the background. But it's really just about, like, you feel like you're in the water. Like, the crashing waves. You're on the boat. You question, like, is this safe? Is this... Da- like, this seems a little dangerous. Like, and it's just pure... It's 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 a lane of just pure cinema. Like, the crunching yeah. of waves. The seagulls flapping and, sca- and gawking. And, and the fish up close. And you, it, it's just... It's amazing, really. Um, well, yeah. yeah. Well, this, this is what I want to say. So my, my very good friend who I'm trying to get on the show, but I'll talk about more off record. Um, okay. Not like a f- the person isn't famous, but I just don't want to put them on Front Street. Sure. Um, it was like, you need to check these out. These are just like wonderful anthropological shorts. And I think you're going to like it. And if you know me, short films don't really work for me. uh, And documentaries don't always work for me. But here's the point. Just because you have blind spots doesn't mean you have to blindly hate. So when when people are like, I don't like black and white movies. Or I don't like this movie. Or I don't like that movie. I think there's a better way to do it. Because as... Like, if you just watch me, I'm not saying that I'm perfect. In fact, I make mistakes all the time. But I think my way of trying to learn is is a way of growth and saying, like, because if I say, oh, because I could say I don't like movies before 1950, which isn't really true. Yeah. But what I can say is that I haven't seen many movies before 1950 that I that I loved while also saying that movies before 1950 are a blind spot for me. Sure. I think that's a I think that's a great way to say it. Of course it it's I don't know about the only way, but yes. Yeah, it's what, a great way to say it. What do you mean? No, I was going to say it's not the only it's like I was going to say that's the only way, but I'm not going to dictate how someone should feel about anything. Right. So I don't I, don't, I get very I get very uncomfortable with only ways. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. 
But so all I can or like or like people know that horror is a genre that doesn't always work for me. I have lots of blind spots, but occasionally something a, a movie of that genre will just really speak out to me because at the end of the day, I'm a fan of movies. I'm a fan of beauty and I'm a fan of people trying to do things that make me feel. Now, sure. if you if you listen to you sh- to the show, you you know that one of my favorite artists of all time is Bruegel the Elder. I also love Vincent Van Gogh, Van Gogh, whatever, mm-hmm. um, Francis Bacon, Philip Gaston, um, James Carey Marshall. Did I say that right? Um, there's an excellent. Super side note, there's an excellent documentary that just came out on HBO Max about uh, black artists that I highly suggest checking out. Okay. Um, that I that I think I told, I think I sent you a link to it, but it really handles, it really handles the past 200 years of black art beautifully. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, Carrie James Marshall has really become someone that that really moves me as well. And I, uh, what immediately caught me and Saskia off guard with these document with these short films is that they look like Bruegel paintings. They look like they're they're like watching a Renaissance painting unfurl. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's just. That's just super exciting for me. Sure. That's, you know, and that's, yeah, I just, I, that's just the shit that I sort of like. You know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. So even though it's not technically something that, I, that would normally move me, I was moved. I felt it in my body. I was like, the, the, this is pure cinema, but it's also just pure art. It's, it's, fi- yeah. it, it's filmed in a film stock that is gorgeous. It's pacing. It's that's that. That's it. It's it. Because because in 2011 they actually made a movie about Bruegel, and we tried to watch it, and we we got like five minutes in. Because mm-hmm. it's just like I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like. Yeah. It is what it is, I suppose. Sure. You like you like what you like, but this one just really moved me, and I was like, and I so I immediately sent it to you. I immediately sent it to Carlo. This is definitely and, Carlo's uh, alley. Yeah, and, and he was like super surprised that I recommended him short documentaries. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Never be afraid. Never be afraid to like change your vibe. To be to be open, never be afraid to be open, baby. Sure, I mean it goes back to what I was saying about uh, you know, between the podcast we did on it and my own, uh, you know, Pinland Empire, I was definitely dismissively harsh to last thing he wanted, and then I watched Doc's Kingdom. It's kind of like, wait a minute, maybe I should go back and watch this movie now. And I'm at the point now where like, yeah, this movie isn't great, but there's still a lot going on to be like talked about. I almost want to go back and redo that episode we did on it because now it's like I got more more more, more thoughts but hey that's fun it's like hey let's yeah. let's continue to learn and grow because yeah. because I'm not trying to put my foot in the stone I'm not trying to be one way and like there are hills I'm willing to die on but about movie tastes I'm way more willing to learn yeah um yeah. See you guys next week, I suppose. Oh, okay. I I I I I I I need to emphasize though one one more thing that like <clears throat> these documentary features much like what I just said with Doc's Kingdom and uh the last thing he wanted. If you have not seen uh, Leviathan and also this film, one of the first movies I saw when I moved to New York City as an adult, uh, Darwin's Nightmare, uh, another kind of like 
Yeah, it's a documentary, but it's also like there's a lot of artistic uh, liberties t- taken, and it's also kind of about fish to to, to some degree. I'm, I'm very much simplifying it, but like you can see the clear line from you know these fishermen stories to Darwin's Nightmare through uh, you know Leviathan, Leviathan from 2012. There's three different movies called Leviathan, by the way. There's the the Alien knockoff movie, which is very awesome, from 1989. There's the Leviathan, the French film I'm talking about. And then two years later, there was an um, Eastern European film called Leviathan, which is also uh, good, but the one from 2012, it's just, like, Directed so by... Great. Oh, shit, hold on. Yeah, it, 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 it's a directing team. Sorry, hold on. It, it, it's more than one person. But um, um, I'm looking this up. Really seek these movies out. They're all kind of, like, part of this, like really cool lane of just pure like visual and auditory like i don't even know what the word is but i guess you can tell from how i'm talking and how i'm pausing trying to find my words that i was very like affected by these movies in the best way possible um right but even if you're affected poorly right true 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 true. that's okay too like that's the beauty of it (laughs) to be to be to be destroyed by a movie is love sure Richard. Uh, oh, the directors so, were, uh, it was uh, Verena Paravel and Lucien Castiang Taylor were the directors of Leviathan from 2012. Okay, and it's sort of a documentary? No, no, it's nothing but a documentary, but it's not like, <clears throat> here's some archival footage, now we're going to sit down and talk with someone, now we're going to go back to the archival footage. It's just like, it's just a camera on this fishing boat, just seeing how these fishermen kind of live and work. But it's like an action film because, like, you're really in the thick of it. It's like the camera's off the side of the boat. There's an up close, like they catch all these fish, and then the the these the fish are like up close to the camera, and they're grasping for breath. And then there's this famous, this kind of famous scene where towards the end, one of the fishermen is trying to stay awake. He's like on his break, and he's watching some like reality television, and he's like slowly nodding off. It's like a really beautiful scene. So it is a documentary, but it's like kind of an artsy. Documentary. It's it's not your typical documentary film. So I think we may have a pretty cool guest for next week, but that's unclear. Sure. So in the event that we don't do that, I'm going to try to watch uh, Leviathan by then. Oh, awesome. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'll probably watch it one more time myself. It's also a really awesome movie. If you watch it at night, it's it's somehow it's even cooler. It's just like it, it, it sets the mood for that film even better, in my own personal opinion. And so. and and on like some fun stuff, the rhythm section is finally on Amazon. And I'm, I've been wanting to watch that for a while. Mm, OK, I don't know why. All right. So now so now. Let's actually, are you, are you ready to, shall we? Yeah, yeah, I'm bid, done, I'm done. I'm bid done. adieu. Yeah. All right, my friend. I love you. Stay safe. All right. Love you too. Thank you.
Thank you.